But I find myself doing it anyway. Now, guys, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to include one or two sentences right here, and not any of you, well, 99% of you are not going to understand this, but there might be one of you that does. But, guys, to fail to understand the ravages of sin in our souls is the heart and soul of the whole Pelagian and Arminian error. That is, one of the things that separates Reformed theology apart from Pelagian or Arminian theology is the distinction made right here of the ravages of sin in the soul. Now, that's enough said, but... uh, This thing you'll find in verse 19 that he is simply repeating what he said in verse 15. You'll find in verse 20 that he is doing nothing but repeating what he said in verse 17. But that repetition, ladies and gentlemen, is is for our benefit. Now, let me me just draw three quick conclusions about these three verses. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, I said this last week and I've got to continue to reiterate Paul is in no way disclaiming any rot responsibility for his actions or trying in any way to excuse himself. That's why I said a moment ago, that's my flesh. He's not trying to shift the blame to something. It's my flesh. Um, gang, if I try to shift the blame, uh, uh, the responsibility for my actions, and excuse myself, you are headed towards a position known as antinomianism. An antinomian is one who says it really doesn't matter what I do because, as you know, I'm under grace so I can do whatever I like. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I heard a a radical antinomian say one time, uh, you can kiss God goodbye. He went on to say, you can throw God out the window (laughs) because none of those things matter. Well, They do matter, ladies and gentlemen. And so Paul, by no means, is trying to shift responsibility away from himself for his actions. He is, however, seeking to show the terrible power of sin, the ravages of sin. Basically, this little section, these three verses, is a commentary on what he said in verse 13. um, That sin has produced death in him. And then thirdly, um, he again is seeking to point out the complete inability of the law to deliver us even though we clearly see the spiritual good of the law. The the law can never deliver me, ladies and gentlemen. The law is not an end. It was never intended to be an end. It's a means to an end. So that kind of um, takes care of all that I want to say about verses 18, 19, and 20. Uh, Verse 21, there is some rather new information introduced, so let's take a look at that. Let Let me read you 21 through the end of the chapter. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. 
Now notice first in verse 21, he, he includes the word then. I find then a law. That is, Paul, by that word then, we know that Paul is beginning to sum things up. He has already said that he does what he doesn't want to do. He said that a couple of times. But here, in verse 21, he is saying that he fails, uh, not only, uh, he, he fails to do the very things that he wants to do. And he goes on to explain, he fails to do the very things that he wants to do because he has found something within him. In verse 21, a law. Now, guys, there's a whole lot of discussion about what is meant by a law. Look at verse 22. For I delight in the law of God. My point is simply this. In 21, when he says, I find in a law, he does not have in view what he has in view in verse 22. He has the law of God in view in verse 22. But in 21, he says that as I examine and consider the, the status of my own soul, I find a law. Um, I, I would love to substitute a word like principle. I find a principle that evil is present with me in the one who wants to do good. I hope you can hear the kind of frustration that, he, that he's... Um, um, expressing um, it is the at the very moment at the very point of my willing to do good i run into this principle i run into this law i come face to face with this thing i at, at the moment i'm trying to choose good i find that something else is competing for my affections and competing for my will evil this law and then he goes on in verse 22, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. You've got to put this with 23. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. Now, guys, stay with me. This ain't that hard. I, I'm probably making it harder than it is. But notice in 22, I delight in the law of God according to inner man. That is... There is something in me that has been wrought by the Holy Spirit that gives me a great delight in God's law, on the, in this inner man. But I see another law in my members. Now, that language has been used often by Paul in, in Romans chapter 6. In my members. When he talks about in my members, he's talking about um, uh, bodily parts. In my eyes, in my, uh, in my tongue, in my hands, and other parts. I, mean, um, I, I delight in the law of God in my inner man, but then I come face to face with this other principle that I find in my members. You know, um, I, I, let me just talk about the eyes. Um, do you find that as much as you would like to control your eyes... You find that you're not. I find that I delight. The law and the inner man says that is ugly. That is bad. That is no good. That won't help me. But I look at it anyway. I, 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 uh, I, in, in my inner man, I, I acknowledge the rightness, the appropriateness, the beauty of what God has said. And yet, at the moment that I seek to say, I'll not do that, I find this other law in my members. 
um, warring against the law of my mind. By the way, I think what you can suggest or you can say is that this inner man of 22 is simply restated in the language of warring against the law of my mind. That is, in my mind, in my inner man, or in my mind slash inner man, I acknowledge the beauty and the spiritual nature of the law of God, and I love it. And yet, at the moment that I acknowledge the spirituality of the law and my desire to obey it, I find waging war in my members another law, another principle. This principle of sin that, he's, that he introduced way back in verse 13. Um, a Christian is somebody who delights in the law of God, which, by the way, was not possible prior to regeneration It is only possible to delight in the inner man, in the law of God, after regeneration. But after regeneration, while I'm delighting in this law, I find this other, this other me. This other thing that is just, it's it's a part of me. You know, um... Last night I, I was with um, a room full, well, it wasn't full, um, we'll call it a room full of uh, African-American pastors and their wives, and, and um, I was talking to them about the law of God and the Word of God and all that business. Anyway, I took them to um, Psalm 1. You don't need to turn there, but um, we closed with Psalm 1, and I was thinking about it in, in, in regards of, of tonight, because... Um, the, 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 the psalm opens, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But verse 2, But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. We, we unre- excuse me, <laughs> we regenerate folk take our delight. We know that that law is good. We know that that law is right. We know that that law is uh, spiritual. In the, in, the, in the law of my mind and in my inner man, I, I acknowledge all of those things to be true. And yet, even in the midst of my acknowledging the beauty of His law, I discover this other principle that operates antithetically to the law within me. Not only is the law good, but I delight in it. And by the way, no unregenerate man would ever say that. No unregenerate man would say, man, the law of God is something that is my, is my chief joy. But the regenerate man looks at the law of God and says, absolutely, that's right. I know that's right. I acknowledge that it's best for me. And then I find another principle. To the point that I desire the good and do the bad. Um, I want to show you one other thing because it it gets a little worse. Um, um, I'm suggesting that the inner man of verse 22 is a a synonym for the mind of verse 23. Uh, it's in that place where one can grasp the truth. In that place, 
in that unseen part of me, in the soulish part of me, in that, in that function where I can, can, can weigh truth there, I acknowledge the beauty of your law. And yet, in my members, there's this war that rages. There is a permanent principle um, in my flesh, in my members, that acts as a veritable law. He calls it a law. Now again, not to be confused with the law of God, but there is a principle within my flesh that acts upon me as a veritable law. And, and what is it that this law does? Well, it wars against that part of me that delights and finds beautiful the law of God. Um, I delight in the law with my mind. I want to do it, that is, obey it. And then this other law in my members rises up and begins to urge the very opposite. And he says... I end up doing the opposite. You know, I said this last week, and I don't mean it in its absolutely clinical sense. When we talk about all these addictions, we're all addicts, ladies and gentlemen. In a a non-technical sense, we're all addicts. There's a law in the flesh that keeps on rising up to oppose that which is right. Um, and now, this is what I wanted you to see, the, the, kind of the bottom of the barrel. But I see, in, verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Ladies and gentlemen, did you hear that? Paul defines himself as being captive to what? Obedience? No, ma'am. By the way, I'm not trying to undercut obedience, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing more, more needed among us than obedience. I'm simply saying that Paul, as he examines his own soul, he finds this war, this struggle that goes on, and it seems to me that he says, the final chapter of it is, I'm the captive. And what am I captive to? Look at what it says. Verse 23. I'm captive to the law of sin, which is in my members. He's captive to the very thing uh, that he hates. He ends up in captivity to sin. Now, then, because of having arrived there, that is, that that recognition of failure that he gives voice to in verse 23, that then leads him to this exclamation of verse 24. Having realized that in this battle, in my inner man, I love the law, I acknowledge its beauty, I want to obey it, but I find this other law and I end up you know, not doing what I want to do to the point that I'm captive to the law of sin and death. Oh, wretched man! That's what happens. Realizing all that's true about him prompts or evokes this passionate plea out of his mouth. Oh, wretched man. 
I think I've already said this, but, you know, I've spent a lot of time trying to convince you that this is descriptive of a regenerate man. And I showed you the arguments by those who simply suggest this is an unregenerate man talking here. And I've tried to appeal to you that this is a regenerate man talking to you. And I've showed you the reasons why. But in in the midst of that, trying to uh, sort out the debate myself, I ran across one man who said, No Christian would ever be found saying, Oh, wretched man that I am. And I say to you, No Christian should ever be found not saying, Oh, wretched man that I am. Gang, um, here's the Apostle Paul saying, I simply cannot believe that sin has produced such a disaster in my soul that I find myself in captivity to the law of sin. His wrestling with his sin and the law and his flesh has brought him to the end of himself. To the point that he cries out, oh wretched man that I am. And I am saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, having been brought to that point is when sanctification begins. It's only, ladies and gentlemen, we're brought to this point that sanctification. If we're still saying, "Well, I've got you know, I'm I'm quite confident in my abilities to avoid all of those sinful choices that confront me on a day-to-day basis," then you're in disaster. But the man who comes to the place and understands that there are no resources for him inside of him to pull off the very things that he longs to do, when he comes to the end of himself. That's when sanctification begins. Guys, um, we're, uh, we're approaching summer, and we're a long ways away from January 1. But um, let me just give you a little advice. Those New Year's resolutions, just forget them. You know, uh, anybody ever kept one of those things beyond 72 hours? <laughs> Because if it's a matter of willpower, ladies and gentlemen, it's a matter of, of a New Year's resolution, uh, resolution um, that is not going to allow us to gain victory over our sin. Paul says, in essence, in verse 23, I disgust me. And I want you to notice what he doesn't say. This is important. He doesn't say... Oh, wretched man that I am. No. Oh, wretched man that the power of sin has made me. I say again, he's not trying to shift the blame. He's not trying to shift the responsibility. He doesn't say, oh, I'm in this condition because sin has done this terrible thing to poor, poor, pitiful me. He doesn't say, oh, wretched man that the power of sin has made me. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. He takes full responsibility and ownership of his spiritual condition. And then he he spews out. By the way, how do you think he wrote that? I I love to do this to you because, um, you know, I think we sometimes read the Bible. We go to Exodus chapter 3 and 
we see the bush burning and and the voices speaking out of the bush and and um, uh, Moses turns around and sees a bush burning and it's not being consumed and he says oh I will turn and behold the bush that is now burning but not being consumed you know I, I hope you don't read your Bible that way I mean, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think he did, said it like that. I think he was completely swept away and caught up by this unbelievable thing that he was witnessing. I, of course, happened to be on the theatric end of the spectrum, too. But uh, I mean, how in the world do you think this man said this? Oh, wretched man that I am. Now, oh, I disgust me. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? He wants deliverance from this part of himself that is opposed to the beauty of the law of his mind. He wants to be delivered from the, uh, the members, the eyes, the tongue, the hands that continue to... Uh, uh, res- the result continues to be that he opposes the very thing that he wants to do. And here's a man who is oh so terribly sorrowful that... Um, that there's anything that's found in him that is opposed to God. Anything in me that I find that's opposed to the beauties of his provision, of the cross and, the, and grace that is mine, contrary to his spirit, that grieves him. I said this last week, ladies and gentlemen. I think probably the, 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 the key characteristic that we can derive here from a, of a Christian is he's so overcome, so grieved by his sin. The antinomian's not grieved. But Paul is grieved. Paul is, I mean, to the point that he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Every Christian's got to come there, ladies and gentlemen. I, I also point this out, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to notice that he says, who will deliver me? He doesn't say, what will deliver me? There's no 12-step program there's no, um, there's no law. There's no uh, moral reform. His deliverance is wrapped up in a person, not a program. Who will deliver me from this? And then verse 25 opens with this sudden outburst of thanksgiving and gratitude. I want you to see something. I'm not sure this is in your copies, in your, in your translations, but if it is, it's very interesting to me. Verse 25, he says, I thank God. Now, is in your trans- do you have a dash in your translations uh, right after God? Well, I have a dash in mine. I thank God, dash, through Jesus Christ our Lord. My, here's my point. I think it almost uh, influences how you interpret what's being said in verse 25. He says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And then it's almost like a light goes on and he remembers, oh, oh. Oh, thank you, God. I'll tell you who'll deliver me. Through Jesus Christ the Lord. That's who's going to deliver me. I've already been delivered in this Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, he, he, gives, he answers the question of 24 by pointing us to the Savior. Paul Paul is a man who is very conscious of a duality that he finds within himself. There is an indwelling sin um, that is just too strong for him. And um, 
what you find in verses 15 through 25 is really nothing more than an exposition of what he says in verse 14. I am carnal, sold under sin. And the, from 15 on is just an explanation of that. Um, what you get here is a realization um, that my this battle that, that I am uh, in is one that leaves me in captivity to the power of sin, and I come to that realization not once, but over and over and over again. I am brought to the end of myself. And repeatedly, ladies and gentlemen, in the Christian's experience, we ought to be brought to this place. Notice again in verse... um, um, yes, verse 25. So then with the mind, I myself. I, I'm just trying to underscore the point, ladies and gentlemen, that Paul is not trying to shift the blame. He, uh, he is responsible for his actions. And, and here's a principle. that is a, it's His inability to obey is n- in no way a denial of his responsibility to obey. Just because there is a power of sin resident in his members that renders him somewhat incapable, just because there is a denial of ability, there is not a denial of responsibility for my continued obedience. Gang, what Paul has sought to do in Romans chapter chapter 7 is show you the role of the law. We need the law. It's not an end. It's a means to an end. We need the law every time, sin's de- every time sin deceives us. We need it. That is, the law is, is not something that's ever going to deliver us from our sin. It's simply going to bring us to that place again and again that Paul comes to when he recognizes I'm a captive. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? It brings me to that place. It brings me to the end of myself. And then drives me to Christ. It did that when I was justified. It must also now do that in this process of being sanctified. The law brings us to an end of self to be justified and to be sanctified. Next week what I want to do is kind of summarize all that's been said in Romans 7 and see if you can't get a picture and a portrait of Christian experience. Let's quit. Our Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the, um, the accurate and um, incisive uh, description of me. And I pray that um, having seen the battles, the struggles that every individual believer uh, will experience, that your people will be comforted. And that we will be brought once again to the end of our willpower and to the end of our New Year's resolutions and be brought safely or be driven safely again and again and again back to Christ, to their claim by faith, the union that we have with Him. Now dismiss us with a sense of your ownership. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.